Good morning, my friend. Dr. Lee Warren here with you for Wildcard Wednesday on the podcast. Today, we're going to bring back an episode from Season 9 about worldview. Now, when trauma and tragedy and massive things strike us in our lives, it can knock us off our feet and it can leave us confused and wondering why the things we thought we knew didn't turn out to be true. So having your worldview right, your set of beliefs and ideas and principles and thoughts about big ideas like who God is and what you're going to do when life hurts, having that right and understanding what you really believe is an invaluable tool to help you hold on when life hurts and to help you become healthier and feel better and be happier no matter what you're going through. It's a great episode about worldview, and I'm bringing it back in preparation for one of the very first episodes of the brand new Spiritual Brain Surgery podcast coming up is a conversation that I recently had with authors Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett to talk about their incredible upcoming book, The Deconstruction of Christianity. This is a book about worldview, and it's a book about what's happening in the church right now with a lot of people deconstructing their faith and what that means. And I want you to be armed against that idea that your faith needs to be torn down. Your faith needs to be examined. Your faith needs to be built up. Your faith needs to be strengthened. But be very careful when somebody is trying to tell you that you need to tear down what you believe. So we're going to talk about worldview today. It's going to help you become healthier and feel better and be happier, even when life hurts. And it's going to help you prepare for the Spiritual Brain Surgery Podcast coming up soon. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. I'm so excited to be bringing you all this incredible new content coming up soon. This episode is going to help you get ready by looking hard at your worldview. Let's get after it. Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. Dr. Lee Warren here with you. And it's Wild Card Wednesday. We're going to go back in time, back to March of this year today. I'm going to give you an episode that I did for the paid subscribers back before we moved away from Substack. Now, we've had a little interruption in our system, so the paid program has been paused for a bit. We're just about ready to relaunch it on MailerLite, the new system that we're using. So you have never heard this episode unless you were a paid subscriber that was listening on Substack back in March. But the reason I decided to bring this back is because I got an email yesterday from a woman named Susan. Susan, thanks for your email, by the way. And she wrote in and talked about a book that she had read by John Mark Comer and how his work she thought would be helpful to me. And I just want to tell you, Susan, you are spot on. John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies, made a big difference in my thinking and how to clarify what I was trying to say back in Mind Change March about worldview. John Comer's book, Live No Lies, was really the first place where I ever heard it articulated very clearly the difference between the Augustinian worldview and the way that Western thought was significantly shaped by Sigmund Freud And I want to bring this back to you today. We've talked about it a few different ways in different times with James K.A. Smith's work and and others. And we even did a whole series about being on the road with St. Augustine and all of that. But all that came out of really, I think I first kind of started thinking about it because of John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies. And so this episode that we did back in March with the paid subscribers called To Thine Own Self, it was basically a look at worldview. And I'm just going to tell you, as much as we talk about brain science, as much as we talk about prehab and scripture and all these things, if you're not careful, you can allow a secular worldview to sneak in and influence your thinking without even realizing it because it's so pervasive that the whole entire society is telling us all the time, follow your feelings, be true to yourself, you know, live your best self now. 
you find you do you you find your truth and those little ideas especially with our children and our young people get kind of mixed in with a christian worldview and over time what will happen to you if you're not careful is you'll just develop this sort of culture light where your faith and your christianity sort of looks just like a little bit better version of the culture that you're living in and i just want to use this episode to remind us that we have to be constantly vigilant because what the world needs is not a little bit lighter version of its own culture. What the world needs is the radical transformation available with the new life and the transformed mind that Jesus Christ offers us. Okay, That's what the world needs, and that's what we need. And if you want to become happier, if you want to feel better and be happier and become healthier, all those things that we talk about all the time, then you've got to radically, carefully steward your worldview and make sure that you're not living a truth, but that you're living in the power and the freedom available with the truth. And so this episode, we looked at all that, and it really was inspired by John Mark Comer's book. So thank you, Susan, for reminding me that I hadn't, I I guess I just didn't realize that that episode had only really been available to the paid subscriber. So all of that to say, I went back in time to pull out an episode that was only ever available to the paid subscribers. We're going to make that available to you today for Wildcard Wednesday in response to this incredible email that we received yesterday from Susan about the way that my thinking was shaped by John Mark Comer's amazing book, Live No Lies. We're going to talk about several books in this episode. It's not one of the three book episodes I told you I was going to do this week. It's just kind of a bonus, and I hope it's a blessing to you. But before we get started, I want to just remind you, radically assess your worldview every day. Pay attention and make sure that your worldview hasn't been sort of absorbed into a cultural one, but that you're continually resetting yourself up against the standard because that's what your friends who don't know Jesus need. They don't need you to be a little bit affirming of their worldview. They need you to show them the way the truth, and the life that's available in Jesus Christ. They need you to help them see that there's a better way. Everybody's wondering why they can't feel happier when they're pursuing their truth, and it's because you can't really find happiness and peace and wholeness and purpose and meaning and all these things, especially after you've faced trauma and tragedy and massive things, until you line your worldview up with the truth. That's where there's power and freedom is why Christ set you free, Paul said. And Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's time to free ourselves from a secular worldview. And this episode will help you get that done. But before we get started, I just have one question for you. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. Are you ready to change your life? Well, this is the place, Self-Brain Surgery School. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and this is where we go deep into how we're wired, take control of our thinking, and find real hope. This is where we learn to become healthier, feel better, and be happier. This is where we leave the past behind and transform our minds. This is where we start today. Are you ready? This is your podcast. This is your place. This is your time, my friend. Let's get after it. Then 
you're making an assumption, number one, that you are committed and dedicated to the idea of changing your mind and changing your life and learning the art of self-brain surgery to get that done, that you are committed to the idea that science and faith don't have to be opponents because they work together to help us figure out who we are and how we're wired and maximize our ability to utilize these incredible brains that God has given us to manage and navigate our life and help other people find the light as well. Number three, I'm assuming that you've understood that hopelessness is the worst thing that can happen to a person and that we have to fight for hope and that hope is a verb. We flex those memory and movement muscles and we're changing our minds through that, that constant knowledge that hope is a decision that we can make, right? But also, I'm making an assumption that most of you are followers of Christ, that you, because we talk a lot about the Bible, we talk a lot about spiritual things in the podcast. So I'm probably making an assumption that most of you who have decided to take this little deeper step with me are people who follow the way of Jesus. And if you're not, if you're not, then I want to encourage you, send me an email, leah.drleewarren.com, connect with me and let's talk on a deeper level about that or find somebody even better, find somebody in your community, in your world, closer face to face so you can talk to about these things because this is the most important decision that you'll ever make is the decision to align your life with his. And today I just want to talk for a minute about a stunning realization that I made. And I made it in reading a book by John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer has written several books. The the first one I read was Garden City, which is about um, heaven and about Sabbath and, and learning to rest. And the second one that I read was The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is a whole concept about understanding how to slow down and, and not let life be overwhelming and stressful to you. And obviously didn't listen because I still have a lot of those issues. But but those two books were good and they were really helpful to me. But But not long ago, I was reading a book and often when I find a book that I want to share with you, I'll go out to Amazon to get the link to share it in one of my letters or on a post like this. And down at the bottom of a post uh, about a book will be a list from Amazon about, you know, readers who read this also read that. And that's where I found John Mark Comer's latest book, which came out last year, Live No Lies. Live No Lies is one of those books that is just completely blowing my mind and, and I learned something in it that I've never, I've known. I've been, in fact, we've been talking about it. We had Elisa Childers, we had Natasha Crane, we've talked about Chris Hodges' book, uh, The Daniel Dilemma, all these books about culture and secularism versus a biblical worldview and all that. But I've never quite put my finger on exactly what it was that I was trying to say. And all these different times that I've told you that you can't find happiness and peace and hope by trying to be a better person, by trying to perfect humanity. And that's the basic difference, politically speaking, it's the basic difference between progressives and conservatives is that progressives basically believe that the whole problem of man is that they just haven't perfected government yet. We haven't perfected um, our ability to make laws and create policies and, and put up governmental systems that will make people behave in a way that will perfect humanity. That's basically the idea of progressivism. And conservatism is almost the opposite of that. It's basically the big problem with man is that there's no way to solve all these human problems without some external guidance, that we need to have a, a moral code and a fiber that helps us to make decisions, and that government really is is designed to, to form a protective and general framework, but that it can't ever make people better. That the bigger the government gets, the more inherently corrupt it gets. And so those are two general ideas about conservative 
concepts and liberal concepts or progressive concepts. And when you take those same ideas and apply them to a biblical worldview, of course, you, it gets muddy because biblical worldview is not political and it's not left or right. There's ideas. If, in fact, if you look at Jesus, you'll if you really look at Jesus through the lens of what he was and what he is and what he said about himself and what he did, it's hard to put him in a camp because he cares a lot more about justice than you do and I do. But he also cares a lot more about personal responsibility and, and holiness than you or I do. And, and both sides of that coin would challenge most thinkers on the right or the left of the political spectrum. So we're not talking about politics today at all. We're talking about how we get ourselves squared away when we try to, when we try to say, how do we find hope? How do we find peace? How do we find happiness? Well, there's, there's some ideas that the world has given us that in this day and age, if you listen to the Natasha Crane interview that I released on Saturday, the whole issue of a secular worldview is that it promises that it can make you happier if you'll just create a better system and, and believe in these tenets of secularism, which are, laid out pretty clearly that you know that there's no absolute truth that your feelings are your guide that god's just a guess and your version of god is no better or no more valid than mine and that judging other people is the ultimate sin and all of that right if you if you believe that then you're going to have a hard time allowing anybody to tell you that there's a better way because you think there's no definition of what the better is except what's true for you. So John Mark Comer put something in my head that I just want to share with you. I'm going to rip it straight out of his book. I want you to read it, Live No Lies. But I just want to give you a couple of things to think about, about why that worldview isn't working. When people say, I want to be happy and pursue my own truth, but the problem is they keep doing it. And the target keeps changing and they never seem to actually be happy. And the reason why, friend, I just want you to know it because I think it's important to teach our kids, tell our families, shine that light for other people to see because you have to change your mind about what happiness is and what hope really is. And you can't do it by trying to be a better and better person. You do it by surrendering to somebody else who has already shown us the path to those things, the eternal path to those things. I'm also going to give you back what ought to be our theme song for Mind Change March, one of my favorite Tommy Walker songs, All About Your Glory. And this idea, I want to make my life all about your glory, is the antithesis of a progressive mindset. Because the progressive mindset is, I want to make my life all about my glory. I want you to acknowledge me. I want my feelings to be validated. I want my true self to be found and, and pursued. And those two, two, two ideas are the opposite of one another. And only one of them can produce happiness. Only one of them can produce freedom. And only one of them can actually be true. And so the question for today is, if you're living your truth and it doesn't set you free, is it the truth? Or is it just a truth that's not actually true? I know you trust me, so I I just want to lay this out, okay? I started reading several years ago books that were talking about the difference between Christianity and secular culture. And, and just this idea started with, for me, with Chris Hodge's book, The Daniel Dilemma. And it's about how do you live as a Christian and make a difference and look different and, and attract people to the gospel and to these, to the ideas that really set them free. How do you do that in a secular culture without becoming like the culture? And he used the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament and how they would not bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. And even even though they knew they were going to get potentially thrown into the lion's den or thrown into the furnace of fire, they were not going to bend the knee to the culture. So, so Chris Hodges' book is more about 
how do we do that as a church, right? How do we stand up against culture and not become stained by the world, as Paul would say? And that was important. And then I began just this long discussion as I started doing research for Hope is the First Dose, like what really makes people happy and what is happiness really? And and the big problem, I'm probably going to write a book called Redefining Happy at some point, because Jesus said, I came, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the Beatitudes, when he says, blessed are, blessed are those, blessed is the one, blessed is he, that word blessed is actually not the right word. We've talked a lot about Moncarios and, and um, my friend Randy Alcorn's book, Happiness. And blessed is poorly translated there because the real word that Jesus said is happy. Makarios means happy. And we've taken this idea that happiness means something that's not biblical or spiritual. And that's a trick of the enemy because the world is saying, I want to be happy. You can't tell me that I can't do these things that are going to make me happy. My feelings are my ultimate guide, as Natasha Crane would say, is the tenant of the secular worldview, right? And Jesus then, if we uh, allow ourselves to believe that he was talking about some spiritual sort of state of, of divine, you know, joy as christians sometimes say then that means that christians aren't supposed to be happy then that means that the world has no real compelling reason to come to jesus if they think he's not going to make them happy right but what if the truth is jesus was about that all along except that happy doesn't mean pursuing whatever your feelings tell you to pursue what if happiness is this ability to be at peace and have hope and be happy and content in your spirit regardless of what happens instead of i can only be happy if this happens what if real happiness as defined by jesus turns out to be i am happy because i have him because i am saved because i have eternal goals because i have this untouchability of my spirit because i know that my redeemer lives and i know that he's taking care of me even if my circumstances look poor then that's really happy and so what i discovered in my research is that happier people are the ones whose emotional state is not tightly coupled to their external circumstances the 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 degree of coupling of emotion to circumstance the lower the happiness scale is for an individual so that's important and so until I read John Mark Comer, though, I wasn't clear. I've read a Lisa Childers book, Live No Lies, you know, Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And I read Natasha Crane's book, Faithfully Different. But I just couldn't quite put my finger on it until John Mark Comer said it really plainly in his latest book, Live No Lies. And here's the bottom line. It's just a quick idea I want to share with you. And we're going to get after it. I'm going to play you our theme song and we'll get on with your Monday because I'm, I'm going to more fully expound on this in a, in a longer post. And I'm not just going to rip it straight from John Mark Comer. But this is the genesis of my thinking on this or it's the clarification of my thinking. I finally got a way to understand it plainly. Okay. Here's the deal. Most of Western thought, most of what you think the culture defines happiness as comes down to the history of understanding how Western thought came about. And John Mark Comer lays it out really clearly. The philosopher Charles Taylor wrote a book called The Secular Age. Okay, so when Natasha Crane's writing about secular worldview, John Mark Comer's pointing out Charles Taylor's work on the secular age. And he says how this is how the West changed from a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. And that's important. This is the this is the crucial piece. We used to be people who were defined as a basic 
ethos by Christian ideals and principles of an external authority in our lives that gave us direction and helped us make decisions on how we lived our lives. And that changed, something changed that to now being authenticity. You need to be authentic to your true self. You need to know who you are. You need to follow your heart, right? Have you heard that in the culture? Of course you have. And so... If you think about it, here's where it came from. Now, John Mark Comer says it this way. The tipping point was Freud. Freud, according to psychiatrists and psychologists now, most therapists would all agree that Freud was pretty much wrong about most of what he thought, right? If you, if you read about psychology today, Freud's largely been discredited. But somehow, his ideas stuck around. And they created, as Comer says, the cultural air that we now breathe. So even though his psychiatry ideas were wrong, and even though most therapists don't practice according to Freudian principles anymore, the ethos that he prescribed and that he described has stuck around. Here's what Comer says. Prior to Freud, most people in the West, even if they didn't know it, thought about desire through the lens of the 4th century philosopher Augustine. Augustine set out these ideas. Saint Saint Augustine was actually a North African, but he basically gave rise to Western and European thought for a thousand years. Now here's what Comer says. According to Augustine, the basic problem of the human condition is that of disordered desires or loves. In his view, human beings were created in love and for love. So we're lovers first and thinkers second. We live primarily from desire, not from our rational minds. In his view, the problem of the human condition isn't that we don't love. It's that we love either the wrong things or the right things, but in the wrong order. Okay, so in Augustine's eyes, it's not bad to love your job, but it's disordered if you love your job more than you love your children or your spouse. That's disordered, and it'll create problems. It's not bad to love your child, but if you love your child more than you love God, it's disordered, and it'll deform how you relate to both and actually hurt your child because they don't learn the proper relationship between God and man. It's not even bad to love sex, but if you love sex so much that it becomes its own path to salvation for you, or or if you turn it into something that you worship and pursue in your life above all other, then it becomes a pseudo-God that you look to for identity. Hear that word and think about our current culture. If sexual things become your identity or your your ability to belong to a community or for your satisfaction of your life, then it becomes the philosophical word soteriology, which is the study of how you become saved. If you think you can be saved through sexual things or through sexual identity or identifying with a group of any sort, then that becomes its own God and it's disordered. And that leads to frustration and pain and angst and difficulty. And you can just look, I'm just telling you, not to say anything about tolerance or love, but just to say what is the fruit of that type of living. If you pursue a thing, whether it's a gender identity or a sexual ethos or or anything in your life, if it's disordered and not in the proper context, it becomes something that creates bondage and not freedom, right? So that's what Augustine said. Basically, order things properly and understand the the, the the hierarchy of how things should be laid out. 
So in the pre-Freud West, human flourishing was about saying yes to the right desires, the higher desires for love, and no to the lower desires, the baser, more appetite kind of desires. And you would navigate your desires by this mental map, this this code that you inherited and, and, were, and were taught by trusted external authorities like parents and teachers and people who, who had your best interest in mind. And those external authorities were guided by principles that were from the higher authority, the Bible, Jesus, the New Testament, and, and basically that Western civilization was, was designed and laid out according to these ideals and was perverted by people, of course, but, but laid out with this idea of ordering your desires in the service of the external authority who has the proper perspective on what those desires are for, and that will help you to have a happier, healthier life. But then Freud came along. And Freud's take was contrary, radically different than this. His, again, Comer's laying this out. For him, for Freud, our most important desire was libido, which he defined as our desire not just for sex but for pleasure as a whole because libido without restraint, he understood, would lead to anarchy. And because of that, our parents and cultural structures forced us to repress our desires. And for Freud, and this is the key of, of all of Freudian psychology, repression of desire is the basis for all neuroses. So basically, Augustine, or Augustine, depending on who, who you read and how you pronounce his name, but Augustine said, desire is properly manifested when it's in the right context and restrained by the right kind of ideals so that you don't get it disordered and don't let desire itself become the goal. And Freud said, repression of desire makes you crazy. And everything that's wrong with people is because some parent repressed them, some internal um, disordered thinking oppressed them or kept them from pursuing what would really make them happy and that the reason people are unhappy is because other people are telling them that they can't do stuff and there's a if there's a better definition of what we're seeing in our culture right now i can't find one it and you know uh, uh, comer says this this great line right here it doesn't take a private investigator to work out whose ideas won the fight for the west view of reality Freud's ideas show up in the popular slogans and catchphrases of our day. And this is where John Mark Homer and Elisa Childers and Chris Hodges and Natasha Crane and all these books I've been reading have kind of come together because culture right now is telling you the heart wants what it wants. Follow your heart. You do you. Just do it. Speak your truth. Live your truth. And the best one, be true to yourself. And here's what I, the whole point of why I wanted to share this with you today because I'm going to put this together in a, in a more detailed fashion later because it's, it's lining right up with my next book, Self-Brain Surgery. Here's the deal. There's a slogan that you learned from high school and you've heard it on culture a million times and it came from Shakespeare and you've heard it, to thine own self be true. Popularly stated these days, be true to yourself. That came from Shakespeare. And because it came from Shakespeare, lots of people use it as a slogan. They put it on t-shirts. They get tattoos. To thy known self, be true. Be true to yourself. Live your truth. But here's the punchline. And this is, it's crazy to me sometimes I see when the devil has done something and it's just right on the nose. It's right in your face and you can't even see it. We can't even see it. It's so tricky that he's done this to us. But you've got Freud who has made us redefine our ethos for our entire society into one of pursuing our own desires and not letting anything external, including God, tell us how we can live our lives. Because in the secular culture, judging and, and trying to evangelize are two of the greatest sins in secularism, right? 
read Natasha Crane's book again, Faithfully Different. But so, so Freud has been largely discredited by his own peers because his psychological ideas don't really help people and they don't really turn out to be useful in therapy. So you got a discredited psychiatrist who has successfully defined our entire culture and ethos. And then you've got a Shakespearean quote to thine own self be true. But guess who said that in Hamlet? Guess who said it? It wasn't Hamlet. It wasn't the king. It wasn't the wise person in the play. It was Polonius, who was a moron. Polonius was a windbag. He was deceitful. He was evil. He was the guy who got everything wrong in that play. He was the ultimate villain. Polonius was a fool. He was a moron. He was an idiot. And Shakespeare wrote that into the play because it was trying, he was trying to make the point that if you try to live according to whatever will make you happy, you're not going to be happy. To thine own self be true turns out to be a terrible idea. It doesn't work. And Shakespeare was writing that from a tongue in cheek position. But guess what? Culture and the devil have made it an ideal now. So I just, the whole thing I wanted to share with you on Mind Change Monday is there's two ideas you need to get out of your head. One is that the pursuit of desire, it leads to happiness, that, that repressing your desires leads to fruit, to slavery, because it doesn't. Those, those are wrong. Pursuit of desire ultimately leaves you wanting more. And just think about it. How many times have you pursued something that was not God's plan for your life and you've got it and it didn't make you happy when you've had that bag of Cheetos you had your eye on and you ended up still being hungry or you had that extra glass of wine and you ended up still not being happy or satisfied and you wanted something else and that led to pursuing more and more and more and now you've had an addiction right you finally had that relationship that you've been pursuing and it led to the destruction of a lot of the peace of mind and happiness in your life or it led to some other form of bondage then you pursue these desires and then you find that you're still hungry and you're still thirsty and jesus comes along and he says i'm going to give you some water that when you drink it you won't ever be thirsty again i'm going to give you some food that when you eat it you'll be finally satisfied i'm going to give you some words that when you read them you will be filled by them and they will help you in your life that's what a life that's not defined by the pursuit of desire leads you to so today I want you to break that idea. The Mind Change Monday concept is get rid of this idea that pursuing desires is the ultimate aim of humanity. Because friend, it's not. It leaves you empty and it leaves you more in bondage because if you think that there's a desire that if you finally get it, you'll finally be happy, it's you're chasing your tail for the rest of your life. And you're going to teach your kids that that's what they need to do too. And that is not, my friend, the good life. And the second thing to break is this notion that to thine own self be true leads to some sort of happiness because the guy who said that was a moron. And it doesn't lead to happiness. You don't need to be true to yourself. You need to be true to somebody else who's telling you what yourself was created for. The highest ideal and aim of man is to minimize ourselves so that he can maximize ourselves and he can make you fully who you were created to be. Because if you look at the evidence of what happens when people try to make it themselves, it's a disaster. And that's what's wrong with our culture right now. So my friend, here on Mind Change Monday, 
I want you to read John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies, and hit some of his writing is is a little out there. It seems kind of crazy, but but this this idea about culture and identity and the pursuit of what's really going to be able to make you happy in your life is spot on. And I'd never heard anybody put Freud and Polonius from Shakespeare right next to each other, and that's. That's exactly what I've been looking for. It's exactly right. The enemy has convinced us that we need to live our own truth, that we need to pursue our own happiness, that anybody that comes in between us and what will make us happy is repressing us or hurting us. And those things, my friend, are not true. And that's why Paul said in Romans, don't be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that's what Mind Change Monday is about. That's what Mind Change March is about. That's what self-brain surgery is about. It's about changing your mind so you can change your life. And the good news is, my friend, you can start today. Oh, for the living God, yeah. Be all about your goodness. 
Thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Hope is the First Dose. It's a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. It's available everywhere books are sold, and I narrated the audiobooks. Hey, the theme music for the show is Get Up by my friend Tommy Walker, available for free at TommyWalkerMinistries.org. They are supplying worship resources for worshipers all over the world to worship the Most High God. And if you're interested in learning more, check out TommyWalkerMinistries.org. If you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, WLeeWarrenMD.com slash prayer, and go to my website and sign up for the newsletter, Self Brain Surgery, every Sunday since 2014, helping people in all 50 states and 60-plus countries around the world. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. And I'll talk to you soon. Remember, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. 